Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning. How are you, fam? What's new? Can I get a little excitement in here, please? Woo! I don't know about you, but worship was slamming what's up i love worship that's just like one of my little avenues to god i I, honestly i could put a a song on and like just out outright with with jesus that's it that's all i need and and something that i really want to encourage you guys with is that sometimes these songs the lyrics can be intimidating i felt like god was kind of pressing on my heart to encourage someone here today that maybe some of these lyrics were a little bit heavy for you, a little hard to swallow, that you're maybe going through something, that you're struggling through something, that you have not seen God pull through. Maybe you feel like God has let you down. But today is amazingly, I want to share with you how God uses every single thing for the good of those who love him and who are called to his purpose. We're going to see that in a wonderful story in the Bible. By the way, I'm Ashley. Nice to meet you if I haven't met you just yet. And I am part of the teaching team, so obviously, I think this is without due. I should be saying it, whatever. But anyway, I'm saying it. I am here to share on the next book. So we know that we're going through the Bible. We went through the Bible last year, and this year we're going through it again. But this time, we're looking for God sightings. We're not just going to talk about the book. We haven't been just talking about what can we learn from this book. Yes, yes, we'll do that. But We want to most specifically put on our little binoculars and look for what God is saying to us today, many, many, many years later, after these books have been written, after they've been shared, after they've been tradition, year after year, we want to know what it means for you and I in this present day. So and the interesting thing about um, the book that I'm going to share is that I'm sharing about God's sightings in the book of Ruth. And the most interesting thing for me personally, on a personal note, is that this is not my first time speaking on the book of Ruth. I feel like God keeps bringing it back, bringing it back. And I don't know about you guys, but if I keep hearing something again and again, I feel like, okay, so there's something in here that maybe I haven't quite gotten, or maybe there's something that I need to be reminded Does anyone in here feel like God has like a theme with you and he's constantly reminding you in specific ways? You feel like that? Well, I feel like this is mine. And I wanted to to share this with you. And maybe for some of you that maybe don't know what that means. What does that mean that God has a theme with me, that God speaks to me in specific ways? Well, I want to invite you guys to open your hearts to know that God is always looking to talk to you, that God is always seeking to say something to you, and it's just about us opening our hearts. And the most amazing thing is that God knows exactly what you need to hear. And sometimes we might turn a deaf ear, but God is still there. So today we want to search. We want to search in our hearts, kind of like the teaching was said before, examine me, God. We say now, even now as I'm speaking, under your breath, just ask God, examine me. Show me what is it you need that you need me to remember. What is it that you need me to know? What is it you need me to, to bring up again or lay down here at the cross with here with you? So moving on, it's not my first time, like I said. But the most amazing thing about the book of Ruth is that this book is not like anything that we've read so far and not like a lot of the other books that we will read. It seems like it's a book where God is missing. You don't really have any manifestations of God. We don't see God in the departing of a sea. We don't see God in angel armies. 
We don't see God doing miraculous things. We don't see the miracle working God, so to speak, in a very large scale, in a, in a big show, right in, in shining letters. We don't see that. But we see God in, a, in the simple story of people's lives. And we see that in Ruth, we see it in Naomi, and we see it in Boaz. Now, who are these people? I'll give a quick recap. So the book of Ruth, obviously, there's a Ruth, right? Makes sense. There is a Naomi first. Naomi is a woman who was an Israelite, lived in Jerusalem, but left Jerusalem to go to Moab with her family because there was a famine in Jerusalem. So they moved along to find a better place, right? They wanted to survive in their minds, I'm sure. They wanted to get away from this famine. They wanted to find a place where they can establish themselves, grow their family, grow their their inheritance, grow themselves, and they they land in Moab. Now, Moab was not a place that worshipped the Most High God. Moab had many gods. The Moabites had many gods. And so in In Moab, Naomi has her two sons and her husband. We read that she loses her husband. He dies. Then we read that that her sons marry two Moabite women. So now they have stepped outside of marrying people that, that believe in the God that they believe in. So they've had to compromise a little bit in what they might have felt like was what their calling for their life was. And then you have, unfortunately, 10 years down the line, both of her sons die. Now, I don't know about you, but that is quite a tragic way to start a book. And that is a heavy, heavy load to bear for Naomi. Something that really sticks out to me about the book of of Ruth is the fact that there is weight to these characters. And I know that there's weight to each and every one of you in here. Perhaps you have been struck with with tragedy. Maybe even now you feel like you're carrying a load that is far too large to bear. Maybe there's a loss that you've experienced, or maybe even that you're waiting on something. And you're, where are you, wonder-working God? Where are you? Where have you been? Well, I can tell you that today with this story, you will be encouraged if you so choose to open your heart. Because God's love and God's faithfulness and God's providence is written all over this. And I want us to really, I can't reiterate as much as to open our hearts to this. Because truthfully, if there's anything that I feel when, when, when we come to church, this is the place, guys. This is the place to be unhinged. This is where you lay it down. This is where you cry ugly. This is where you be who you are all the way through and through. Because this is where we can meet God. And some of us, we might not be meeting God during the week. That is unfortunate, yes. But I know that that's a reality in in our lives. But today, I challenge you to meet with God. To seek him out. To see his face. To know what he wants for your life. And to challenge yourself to take the next step with God. I can't express it. I have that feeling in my heart that that is what we need today, is to lay it down. So if you haven't read Ruth, like I said, there's there's no particular God sighting, no no impossible thing, no mountain moved, but there are just simple people here. But despite the lack of tangible manifestations and no mention of God doesn't mean that God is absent in this book, does not mean he's not working does not mean he's not here with us. And I even want to challenge, last, I think last week in worship, Pastor Harold, you said, correct me if I'm wrong, you said God is a full-time God, right? You said something like that. Well, I'm going to one-up you, Pastor Harold. I say that God is an OT God. God is an overtime God. And he's putting in that time for you over and over and over again. And he doesn't care. He's not like the corporate businesses that won't pay out. He'll pay out. And he'll pay out. And he'll pay out. And he'll pay out. Okay? He's here for you over time. He's working over and over again. I want to get, I want you to get that in your heads. 
That God is not stepping outside. Stepping inside is what God does, okay? He takes up the tools and works with you. He cries with you. He sits with you. You are never alone. And we see that here in in the book of Ruth. God, we want to see God's providence. We want to know what, what is God's providence. When I think of God's providence, that is the design. I think of an artist who sketches something out, big scale, timelines, think that. And God's providence is that, is that timeline that we don't see. It's that sketch that we don't see, but that God is so evidently worked into all of our lives. We are all connected. We are all connected, and God has something for each and every one of us. And what is for me is not necessarily for you, but the most miraculous and beautiful thing is that it works for all of us, right? Is that we are, in, we are together, and that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Be encouraged with that. Before we even go into the story, we need to be encouraged by that. Because being called according to God's purpose also reminds us that our good, that part in the verse, our good, it actually, what it actually means. It's not our comfort. Say that right here and right now. It's not our worldly success. Lay that out. Throw that out. That's not what God is saying here. It's, the, it's the, the furthering of his purpose through us. That's what that verse means. And I know, and I've seen a lot, uh, I even remember watching a, a show that it used that verse. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I really like that they're using Romans 8.28. It was a secular show on uh, CW, I think. There's that one with the plane that, this, that like people popped up that, Manifest, right? They used that verse a lot, and I was like, that was cool, but they always left out that last part. It would be too uncomfortable for the world to know that we are called according to his purpose. Because what does that mean? That means laying down your pride. That means laying down what you want. It means laying down all of the things that you think is good for you and taking up everything that God has for you taking out the calling that God has for you, taking out the the character change that God is calling you to. Those are not easy things. Those are not easy decisions. But the most beautiful thing is, is that even though they're not easy, they're all used for good. They're all used to make us more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus. I want to look like him. I want to talk like him. I'm not sure what it means to smell like him, but I definitely want to talk, walk, and act like him. All the senses. Many of us probably experience powerful encounters, but I can, I can almost bet that a lot of you haven't experienced powerful encounters. Don't be discouraged. Because I'm here to tell you today that though God has not showed up in a burning bush, that he has not parted a Red Sea for you, that he maybe did not heal that loved one, that maybe he did not give you that job, does not mean that he's not in your life. Does not mean that he's not working those things for your good. Does not mean that all of those things will be used to build you up and to make you more like him. Nothing, nothing is, is uh, wasted. Nothing is wasted. Remember that. Hear that in those moments when you feel like, what is this for? Nothing is wasted. He's not finished with you yet. So we'll keep going. It's always working. And we know that the book started with the famine and tragedy. We know that we can see that that Naomi can, we can put ourselves in Naomi's shoes. We can see how she lost we can see how she struggled. We can see that in a, in a society where women who lost their husbands and had nothing literally were almost like second-class citizens. They were poor. They did not have someone to cover them. They did not have someone to protect them. Maybe we felt like that sometimes, that we felt out there on our own, no protection, no wing to cover us. And we see that we had, she got blessed, though, in the midst of it. 
And that's what we're going to see. We keep seeing it over and over in Ruth. What do I mean? How did she get blessed? How did this woman get blessed? Well, so Naomi had two daughter-in-laws. She had Ruth and Orpah. And these were Moabite women, like I said earlier. And they left, they left uh, Moab to head back to Jerusalem because they heard that God had, been blessed, had blessed the people of God, meaning Jerusalem was not in a famine any longer. Things were looking up. So she decides to pick up her life and head back to where she started. Head back to her promised land, right? So she heads back, but Orpah, she, does, she says to her daughters-in-law, no, 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 you guys go back. You're still young. You can still remarry. You can still start over. And Orpah says, you know, okay, sure, I'll go. But then you have Ruth. Ruth is special. Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. She said, it says, despite everything that Naomi went through, she kept a powerful witness and love for God. Let me go into the fact that why did Ruth love Naomi and say, I don't want to leave you? What was it about Naomi that showed, showed Ruth that she, couldn't, she, she didn't want to leave her behind? And even to, to one-up that, she said, I, my God, your God is my God. So we see in action, we, see, we get to see in, 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 through God's action, through God's way, that he is constantly showing his love, right? He's constantly showing people that he is there, that he is alive, and that he is not done, and that he is working through things. Because while Naomi suffered through tragedy, she was blessed with someone like Ruth. Right? Someone who decided, I want to be with you and I'm not going to let you be on your own. I see God's love written all over that. The whole decision to, to sit, for Ruth to say, you know what, I'm not going back. I know that maybe I could remarry and maybe I could you know, find, find a new husband and I can restart. I'm making the decision that no, I want to go with you and I want to go with your God. Like, can we, like real quick on the side, can we say that, that we do that? That in our tragedy, in our, in our stress, in our frustration, are we still a person that somebody would look and say, I want to follow that God. I want to follow whoever she or he is following. Because even when I am not feeling my best, even when I feel like God has stripped me of everything that I've loved, but that, he, that I'm still standing and worshiping. Can we say that? Right? Can we say that? I always say, like, I'm, I'm, I just started a new job, and it's so scary, guys. It's so scary. I cannot express how scary this new job is because I feel like there's a weight to my job, okay? I have finally received a, a job that I feel like I, could, I am doing something that God has called me to do. I ran for it for a long time, but God has finally drawn me out and said, now we're doing this. And he made a way for it all. That's, uh, that's a little later. But the whole idea is that I am, I'm, I'm scared, guys. I'll be straight up with you. I'm scared. And every day I come home and I, I want to quit. <laughs> I want to quit, but I know I can't. That's not what God wants for me. But the thing is, like, I'm always asking God, like, God, let me suffer gracefully. I want that everybody who doesn't know you to understand that I'm doing this because of you. That I'm doing this because I love you and I love, the, I'm, by the way, I'm a teacher now. So like, I, I love these children because God loves these children, okay? That is what I feel and, I, and that's why I'm there. I'm not there because, because I, I, oh, I just want a new job. No, I feel like there's a purpose within this. But I know that God is like peeling things off of me that need to get peeled off. And I know he's changing my mindset because it needs to be changed. But it hurts, guys. It hurts. But the most amazing thing is that, and I'm trusting God, that he is going to be glorified through this, right? Because I am hanging on to him. And yes, I may grumble sometimes. And yes, I may complain. But I'm asking God that when, I, when, I, when I'm working, when I'm doing the best that I can do, that he gets all the glory, right? So I want to be like Naomi. Let's say that. I want to be like Naomi, that even though I'm in a tough time, I'm in a tough spot, I want somebody to say, I want to follow her God. 
I want to know what he's all about. I want to know why she can stand up here and feel like she's not doing it right, but she's going. She's not stopping. And that's what I want. That's what I want for you guys. That whatever struggle you have, whatever thing you're going through, that you can stand firm. And people can look at you and say, I want what they have. Because we know that we have what is good. And if you feel like you don't have that today, today's your day. Today's the day that you're going to get that thing, that goodness, that Holy Spirit, that thing that people can look. Because unfortunately in this world, we do often say, I want what he has. I want what she has. I want that. Scratch that. I'm challenging you guys to say that, but say that to God's goodness, to God's Holy Spirit, to God's truth, to God's calling. That's what I'm asking you guys today. The, most, the thing that I love, too, is the fact that Ruth made, a, Ruth, made a, Ruth made a powerful declaration on her own. Let's step outside of Naomi. Let's look at Ruth. Ruth made a wonderful declaration. That was the declaration of her life. Ruth 1, 16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Because she was going through it too. She lost her husband and now she's, I can imagine, she's like, okay, I'm going to follow you, Naomi. And then she's probably like, what did I do? Oh no, what did I get myself into? Going to a whole new land with a whole new group of people that she might have even felt like maybe she, there was going to be a little bit of a discrimination, right? She was a Moabite, a woman, that, a woman that was a widow, which was second class, who also worshipped other gods, grew up worshipping other gods. So now she's going to Jerusalem to the people, who, the people of God who probably, unfortunately, looked down on people like her, right? But she made the decision. I'm going to go where, you gonna, where you're going to go. And your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. She was lost in need of saving, our Ruth. But she surrendered her life. And that's the key. I feel like if there's anything in your life, in your walk with God, that you need to pocket and pull out every now and then, is your surrender to him. There is so much in a surrender to God, of a waving of a white flag before the Lord. There is a blessing in that. And that's what Ruth did. She abandoned everything she knew to follow, to follow God. And Ruth disowned her own gods. She took away her idols. She put out her idols and says, I want and desire to worship this God. She drew the line in the sand. And she said, your people will be my people. Have we come to this place in our lives? Have we ever made, truthfully made that decision to draw the line? Surrendering and abandoning, recklessly abandoning. That's what that phrase means, to recklessly just throw it. Like, forget this. I want to go here. I want to be with you, God. Have we done that? A lot of us can say, yes, I pray that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I come to church. But I'm saying, is there something in your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord? Is there something that is keeping you from that deep connection with the Lord? I can't answer that. Only you can. So God showed his blessing and redemption to Ruth through Boaz. So now we move into the idea that we see God's love. We're citing, we're seeing that God's love was evident and how, God, how he showed his blessing and his redemption through Boaz. So let's take a look at that. We clearly see how God honored Ruth, Ruth's faithfulness, that God used Boaz to bless and redeem Ruth. Boaz became Ruth's advocate. Point number one, that is how she was blessed. Ruth's advocate. Boaz told the foreman, when, so let me backtrack a little bit. We get Ruth and Naomi in Jerusalem. They are now like, okay, we're here. What do we do? Ruth suggests, let me go out and glean in a field. What does that mean? So they had a law in place that would protect widows. 
that when there is harvesting, in this particular case, barley, they're harvesting the barley, they would allow widows to come follow behind the workers and gather up anything that they needed or anything that they could get. This provided for the widows, since unfortunately, nobody has been providing for them now. So you have Boaz, we have, I'm sorry, we have Naomi and Ruth in a field. Ruth decides, I'm going to go glean in this field. He just so happens to get to this Boaz, Boaz fellow's field, who happens to be a kinsman redeemer. Now, what does that mean? Kinsman redeemer is pretty much the individual that would be able to marry that, that, that woman or that family and then take up the, the role of what the, 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 the husband would have done. So let me clear this up. You've got Ruth, you've got Naomi, lost her husband, old, two, like older, old, an older woman, she's not going to remarry. But she's got Ruth, her daughter-in-law. So now someone can marry Ruth and pretty much provide what her husband would have provided, essentially. Would, when they have a child, that child is still part of her deceased husband's name. So this was something that would prevent the family from pretty much going asunder, essentially. Like they would have somebody to protect them, someone to cover, their, cover them. So that Ruth happens to get onto this, to this fellow's field, and he notices her, right? And he's like, who is this girl? And they tell him, this is, this is Naomi's daughter-in-law, and they know of what she's done and the goodness that she's shown to her mother-in-law. Okay, so that's where we're at. So not only did he allow her to glean, but he stood up for her. He was her advocate. And it, we, see it, we see it in Ruth 2, 9. It says, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you go thirsty... Go and get a drink from the water jugs the men have filled. So we see that Boaz is being, um, being, a, he's being an advocate for her. He's told the men, don't touch her. Leave her alone. He's standing in the gap for her, showing her that, you know, I, I, I see you, and I'm going to make sure that you're going to be all right. We see that in Boaz as Ruth's advocate. We also see it in, in 2, 15, and 16. As she got up to glean meaning Ruth, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. We can see here that Boaz is being very generous and kind to Ruth. He's setting her up so that she is, has a a, a peaceful path, a path that will be protected. And he is advocating for her, protecting her, and showing her that, hey, I got you. We also see that Boaz came to redeem her. See, Boaz was willing to marry Ruth. We learn that a little bit later. See, he, he was eager to do so. And Naomi and Ruth were in a tough position as widows, as I mentioned. This made them second-class citizens. They were poor. With Boaz as their kinsman redeemer, they found shelter under his wing and also were ultimately blessed to be important individuals in the heritage of Christ. And that I'll go over later. And we see this in Ruth 3, 10 through 11. It says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, which rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So we see this because what happens? Now Naomi, Naomi knows where she was because Ruth has told her, like, hey, I ended up in Boaz, this gentleman's Boaz, his field. And Naomi's like, whoa, that's our, that's our redeemer. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try and get him to understand that we need him. So she encourages, she encourages Ruth. Naomi encourages Ruth. Get dressed. Get perfumed. Look all pretty. And show up to the, to the harvest feast, which was something that happened at night where they, where they pretty much, they essentially were getting ready the harvest, right? 
So they know he's going to be there. She says, go to him, lay at his feet, and ask him to uncover his, to pull his cover over to you. That was pretty much a sign uh, of like, hey, I'm interested in you. So here's, here's what he says to her after the fact, after that she's done that. And he's so ecstatic about it. He's like, wow, bless you that you come to me. Boaz was an older man, right? And Boaz was, was someone that, that was esteemed in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the community. But the wonderful thing was that, that Ruth decided, hey, I'm going to lay at your feet. And he was willing to redeem her. He was willing, joyfully, to say, yes, thank you that you didn't go after the young man, but that you, that you, it shows your faithfulness. It shows you're a woman of noble character, right? So we have, we have this, this evidence of Boaz coming to redeem her. We also see that Boaz took her burdens, right? He, Boaz went out of his way to make sure he could be their kinsman redeemer. He, was, he made it specific that he was going to find out after that, that they, if he can really be the one to marry her. Because he says that there is somebody out there, but I will, I, will, I will get this done. I will get this figured out. And I will take this burden from you. I will redeem you, and I will take this burden from you. We also see that Boaz provided for her. And we see that Boaz provided for Ruth with what she needs and what Naomi needs to get by. In chapter 2, we see him giving Ruth some wine and bread during the harvest. While she's gleaning, they stop for lunch. And he gives her bread and wine. And, in, and, she, and not only does he just give her bread and wine, but he gives her enough so that she can go back to, to, to Naomi and bring the extras. And even then, even after that, we saw that in 2.16, how he said, even pull out some stocks for her. When the bundles from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, like we said, in, we saw in three in, in verses 15, 16, excuse me, in chapter two, he says, even pull out some bundles. He didn't just let her glean, but he pulled out extra for her and laid it out there. And we see that even after when she's laid at his feet and they make this plan and he says, I'm going to figure this out for you. We're going to work this out. He doesn't just say, okay, now go. I'll, I'll be back. No, he says, pull out your shawl. And she pulls out her shawl and he pours out six me- measures of barley into her shawl. And I feel like this is so amazing how he not only is showing his, his, that he's willing to provide for her, but he's abundantly providing for her. So guys, why, why am I saying all of this? Why are we talking about what Boaz did? I don't know if you've noticed, but this is Jesus. This is Jesus for us. He is our advocate. He is our redeemer. He carries our burdens. And he provides for us. We see it so beautifully in Ruth, in those little excerpts that I shared with you. How is Jesus my advocate? In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, because we do, right? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. One of my favorite ones that I constantly say to myself all the times is Romans 8, 34. Who then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, the meaning the only one that really has a say in this, who can really condemn you. He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's interceding for us. He's seated at the right hand. The one that could condemn us decides he's not going to, and he intercedes for us. He advocates for us. He stands before the Lord and says, no, 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 wait, wait. This is my, this is my, it's my girl, it's my boy. Look there, and I, I love that. And I stand in faith with that because I know that I can come boldly before the throne because I know I have an advocate in Jesus. I know I have someone interceding for me. I know that I have the blood of Jesus covering me and that I can stand and say, you know what? I am a child of God. I am chosen and he still loves me even though I this, 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 this. He loves me because of this, 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 this. 
and he is good, and he is faithful, and he's looking at you right now, and he's saying, I'm interceding for you, and I know where you've been. I know what you've done, but I love you, and I love you through and through and through and through and through, and I intercede for you, and I advocate for you because I love you, because I've chosen you. That is your truth, fam. That's your truth. It shows that he's our redeemer. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I feel like this is self-explanatory. Jesus, if he wears a sash, obviously it would be Lamb of God, but I think it's Redeemer. God is parading around you, reminding you, I am your Redeemer. I redeemed you. I bought you with a price. I I spilled my blood for you. Live on that. Bank on that. Build your house on that. I am your redeemer, he says. He's the lifter of our burdens. Just as Boaz lifted Ruth's uh, burdens, that is what Jesus is doing. Like I said, he's working overtime for you. It says, First Peter, cast all your anxiety, cares, worries on him because he cares for you. For some of us here, that sounds so foreign that somebody cares for you. That somebody is seeking you out. That somebody wants the best for you. Believe it. It's not fake. No fake news here. No fake news. And he's our provider. We know about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? With just a couple of bread, uh, with a couple of bread loaves and some fish. He multiplied and he provided. But one thing I love so much is, that, is the verse from six, Matthew 6, 25 to 26. And I'll say this real quick because I don't think I gave it to you guys. Sorry. Love you guys. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or even enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Tell me. Isn't life more than food? I know for some of us, we're like, I don't know. I love food. I know, food is good, but there's more, and I know you can agree. And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable than a bird and some flowers? Doesn't he know you? Wouldn't he know you if he created you? Wouldn't he know every tear you've shed? Wouldn't he know every hair on your head and every one of the hairs you lost because of the stress? Wouldn't he know every time you sit down and stand up? Wouldn't he value every single time you say, I want to give up, God? I can't do this anymore. Wouldn't he value every time you say, I surrender, God, because I can't do this anymore. I know that you're the one. I know that you can do this, not me. Guys, Jesus is obviously walking around here. Jesus is here now. Jesus is here now seated next to you in your heart, trying to bring you out of something, trying to share with you how much he loves you. Don't turn a deaf ear to him. And like I said, some of us here, we already know Jesus. But we don't know enough of Jesus because you can never have enough of Jesus. All he wants is to know that right here at this cross, you have freedom. And here at this cross, you've been redeemed. And here at this cross, you have an advocate. 
And here at this cross, you have a lifter of burdens. And here at this cross, you have a provider. So when you go out there today, or when you go out there tomorrow and you have another week, a crummy week, or we have some kind of situation, it's just remembering to turn back to the cross. He's always there over the shoulder, right there at a moment, just a, just a step into it, just a quick prayer, just a quick acknowledgement that, Jesus, I can't do this without you. It's through God's providence that these women inherit the lineage of God. I find it amazing going, in, going into that. I, didn't, I, didn't, I said I would touch into that, but the idea that Ruth and, and Naomi are considered in the line of Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't know if you know that. But we get at the end of the book, it tells us that when Naomi and, um, excuse me, when Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a child, that child that, that the Lord has, has opened her womb to conceive, she ends up having a son named Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. So when I say father of David, you all know what happens there, right? Jesus comes in the picture. And usually inheritance is something that we, we get, right? Right, that we look for something that it's being passed on to us. But this was something from the future. So this is my point, is that God is, has God's providence here, and it's a sketch of, his, of the whole life, of every one of us, of his whole plan, and we all are dots on there. And when you look at the dots, you connect the dots, and we're all part of the picture. We're all part of the picture. And God is not done with you. And when you are walking around and you feel like every situation, every heartache, every struggle is a setback from you, from Jesus, let me tell you it's not a setback, but it's something to catapult you to Jesus. Think about a bow and arrow. You have a bow and arrow and you have to pull it back. And when you let it go, it shoots straight forward. That's what we got to see our situation as. You look at your struggle. You look at your pain. Think of it as a, as a bow and arrow. You're getting drawn back. And if you focus, you aim yourself for Jesus, you're going to hit the target. You're going to hit the target. It's 100%. I don't have good aim. Try to make me throw something right now. I'll miss you. But I know that if I throw my arrow back I'm gonna, and I'm aiming for Jesus, it's not landing on Satan because I'm focused on Jesus. I want Jesus. I'm going to get Jesus. You want Jesus? You're going to get Jesus. But you got to want it. You got to want it. What's our response today? What's our response to this? I want to go into how Ruth responded to this, to, to meeting Boaz, to seeing God's providence, where she just so happened on the field of the man that would redeem her family. What does she do? She says, I'm going to go work there. She meets this man. She gets this advice from her mother-in-law, and she says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to go to the, to the harvest festival. I'm going to lay at his feet. I'm going to make this somewhat like marriage proposal to him. That takes guts. I would be so nervous, like, oh my gosh, what if this guy kicks me? Like, what if he tells me to go? What if, like, what's going to happen? But she makes the decision to lay at his feet. And what does she say? In Ruth 3, 9, I am your servant, Ruth. Bam. Number one, I am your servant, Ruth. Humility. If my people would just humble themselves and pray, says the word. If they call me by my name, I'll be there. I'll be there. And here she is. I am your servant. I am your servant. Not like, hey, boy, you can redeem. Don't I look good? Hey. No, I am your servant. Humility. Something that our generations are losing. Humility. Humility. I can't shout that enough. I feel like you want anything before the Lord, humble yourself. Who am I before the Lord? Who are you before the Lord? 
Nobody, really, but Jesus, but Jesus. And she says, I am your servant. And she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The most amazing thing about this spread the corner of the garment situation is like I said, it was a lot like, not her necessarily proposing, but it's kind of like a, hey, you can propose and I'll say yes kind of thing. That's what it was more of. Because we know that in, in, in the, the scriptures, the word for the garment is really wing, okay? So what is she saying? Here I am, your servant, Lord. Spread your wing over me. Cover me. Cover me with your love. Cover me with your advocacy. Cover me with your redemption. Cover me with your lifting of burdens. Cover me with your provision. That is what she's saying. It's as simple as that. And I can come up here and make a huge show and make a big message, but guys, it's really simple. It's so simple. It really is so simple. You just got to surrender. You just got to say, here I am, your servant. Cover me. I need you. I can't do this on my own. Who am I? Because when you pull back and you aim for Jesus, who are you going to get? Jesus. That's what it's all about. That is where I see God. That is what the book of Ruth is. That's my God sighting, and I see it all over, and I need to hear it. So when I say, dang, God, I'm going to do Ruth again, what you got me to do Ruth again for? So remind me that I just need you here like this. I just need you here. And that job that you're scared of, I'm going to make you good at it. And that, 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 those little girls in your house that you feel like you're ruining them, no, I'm going to make you good at that. I'm in control. And that marriage that you want to do so successful, you want to you be in a good marriage, I'm going to help you with that. And, and uh, those relationships that are difficult, that you want to be more like me, I'm going to do that. And that sin that you want to get rid of, I'm going to do that. And all those blessings that you're looking for, I'm going to do that, says the Lord. He's going to do that when we're there, prostrated, face on the floor. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. You will never walk alone. You will never walk alone. He has a listening ear for you, family. His ear is attentive to his people. He's listening for you. His providence is designed specifically foolproof. It's foolproof. You can't mess it up. You can't do anything that will mess up the plan of God. That's the beauty of it, because he's going to use it all for his good plan, his perfect and pleasing plan. You can't do anything that will mess it up. And in your life, though you may feel like it's insignificant, like none of it matters, like what is the purpose of me? Why am I here? Every little thing counts. Every struggle every laugh, every tear, everything will be used for the good of his kingdom to further it. All we have to do is prostrate ourselves, kneel before the Lord, humble yourself, seek his face, do his will, be obedient, ask God for examination of the heart, and everything else falls into place. Be encouraged, fam. Be encouraged today. You're not alone. Some of you are going through it, being put through the ringer, being put through the ringer, and you're feeling it. You hear the cracking. You feel the weight. You feel it on your shoulders. But today, I want us to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him to put a song on. And it's a song to remind you that you are not alone. 
that you are not walking this walk alone. And I challenge you today, if you need it, come grab onto the garment of, of Jesus. There's a story in the Bible about the woman who was bleeding. And she was in the crowd. And Jesus came by, and he's wearing his, you know, he's wearing his clothes. And she grabs, she's like, if I could just get the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And that's all it takes. Just the hem of his garment. I'm asking you guys, if you feel so led to, come touch the garment. Come ask him to pull the garment over you. Say, I want to be married to you, Lord. Focused on you. Targeted on you, Lord. He is your inheritance. He is your inheritance. Ruth and Naomi inherited the bloodline of Jesus, not because of anything that they did, but because they were called according to his purpose. You, my friends, are called according to his purpose. You have nothing but greatness on your side. God is good. God is good. God is good. Can we give a shout of praise for him? Can we just just give out your praise to him? Just say it out loud. Just say it out loud. Say Alpha Omega beginning and end. You are worthy. Keep it going. Give all your praise to him. Say it out loud. I want it, I want this place to erupt with praise. Let this place erupt with praise. Shout your praise to Jesus. Say it out loud. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for your inheritance. Say it. Thank you for that job. Or thank you, God, that you're not done with me. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet, says the Lord. That's what he's saying over you. Let this week, whenever you step, wherever you step, bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Say to the Lord, I want you. I want you now and I want you always. I want you to see. I want you to be seen. I want you to be heard through me. Touch. Cling. Hold on to the garment of God. Hold on. Like almost I picture it. I have a vision in my head that we're just all hanging on to the coats. And we're like, woo! We're flying. We're flying with Jesus. Hang on to the garment. He'll take you far. God bless you. Have a great week. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.